Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast, and it's the final edition here in February as we roll on a bit closer to the start of spring practice for Penn State's football program. That is when our content here on the show and certainly on the site is going to shift a bit more. Uh, A lot of forward thinking in the spring as we get to know the new contributors for Penn State and certainly as we look to see who has made strides in a crucial offseason for a program that finished in the top 10 in 2019 and is widely anticipated to start inside the top 10 when action kicks off in September. Uh, There's a lot to look at during this episode. James Franklin is getting paid, and now we know how much, and we know the terms of that contract that was agreed to in December. We'll go through that a bit. We will also talk about Penn State players at the NFL Combine, some early updates out of Indianapolis, and we will take a long, long look at the 2021 Penn State recruiting target board. Sean just put up on the site a positional break down where he ranked each position in terms of priority for Penn State. Uh, Who do they need? Where do they need them? Going to get into all of that a little bit later on in the show, but first want to start out with a big, big shout out to everyone who participated, contributed, had anything to do with the Thon event that took center stage in State College last weekend. Uh, This is my third winter living in this community, and it is always something that takes me by uh, astonishment. Um, To to see the dedication and the resources that get poured into here, you know, not just within the athletic spectrum, although that is the catalyst for this uh, at Penn State. Uh, there is just a lot of selfless people that are involved with this mission. And I mean, look at the results, $11.7 million raised for the fight against childhood cancer. Just a couple of years ago, my first season on the beat, my godson before his first birthday was diagnosed with liver cancer. It was, uh, you know, just incredible to see his parents go through that and, and, and personally dealing with seeing him at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia while he was undergoing the treatment to, to, to handle cancer. Uh, Parker will be three years old in March and he is happy. He is healthy. He is rambunctious. He drives his parents crazy. Uh, he's going to be driving Uncle Tyler crazy when we go to visit soon. But I hope there are so many stories like Parker's that come because of of what has been done through these Thon efforts. Uh, and, and, you know, Sean, I know you being an alum of this university, uh, you take pride in this year in, year out, like so many do. Never really gets old. Uh, just seeing the numbers that come out of it and the, uh, the, uh, just, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, it, it's such an event that you can't really put into words, you know, unless you, you see it for yourself. And we haven't gone up for a couple of years now. And, and I know to me, nothing scares me more than pediatric cancer, um, as a father. And just to, to, to see that and to see the lives that it's been able to touch and to see the, just the, the sense of community that comes with it. It's just really unbelievable. And, it, you know, it's sort of, 
get uncomfortable talking about it because it is a situation that none of us wants to see. But to to, to go into that and to, to do what they're able to do on a yearly basis to continue to come up with the funds for everybody to continue to to donate, uh, good things are happening. And we'd like to see them continue to happen. So this is just, it's, it's so tough to talk about. It's so tough to describe. I know, I know that what you've been through with your godson is, is, is just one case, but man, that's uh it's a terrifying situation for some. And it's, it's such a comfort for others to, to know that they can, you know, you know, help those people in that situation. I, I, I like I said, you can tell in my voice, I, I don't like talking about it. It's so scary. Um, but for that, uh, for that level of comfort, for those families, for those kids, for at least a short period of time, it's such a great thing. And it's, it's, it makes Penn state a complete, uh, excuse me, a completely unique place on a far lighter note. And from a perspective that helps our podcast coverage, it does present an opportunity for some access in the middle of an off season where there isn't much access uh, to come by at times. Fortunately, that that'll start to change in March. We got a few events we're looking forward to covering. Uh, have some fresh information coming your way from Penn State football. But Mark Brennan was on the scene along with his daughter Grace. Um, photo galleries, uh, videos have been up on the site, especially last weekend coming off of the Thon event. Um, but we always get a chance to get a, a couple takeaways here. Um, I would recommend checking out videos of, of offensive tackle Will Fries, defensive tackle PJ Mustafer, kind of breaking down the early weeks with their new positional coach Phil Troutwine on the offensive side and then of course uh, Coach Scott uh, John Scott Jr. uh, dealing with the defensive line now. Uh, Get some perspective from the players, what they've seen so far from those interactions. But it is official and it is public. Pat Fryermuth 2020, he's on the snub train. Uh, He was very uh, cautious to talk too much about uh, being left out of the Mackey Award finalist group, much less not even uh, getting on to, to, you know, to, to the award itself uh, was not a finalist. We addressed that last year, late in the season. And, and but now Pat's had some separation. He'll show you. It's on his phone. Uh, it's 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 plastered in his room. Uh, and and it's it's the Mackey Award. And, and it's something that's been a focus for him. He told Mark, yeah, he felt snubbed. And when he uses that word, you know, good luck to the Big Ten defenders out there who encountered this guy because he was already a force. And you know, he's got that chip on his shoulder now. Uh, and he's kind of on the warpath, it seems, in regard to proving that he is is the best tight end in America. He didn't mention a revenge tour t-shirt or anything, did he? Uh, <laughs> Not that just... I'm aware of. Not yet. Okay. Good for Pat. Good for Pat. Yeah, it's going to be a big year for Pat. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how the offense is going to change, but I do know that the offense needs to take into account what Pat Fryermuth can provide to it. I mean, he's obviously your most reliable target coming back. He can do so many things in so many different positions, such a good player. And yeah, I mean, he, if this is what needs to get him to that point where he's going to be probably the best tight end in the Big Ten, one of the best tight ends in the country, maybe top uh, top two or three tight end in the country, hey, this is what gets you there because uh, it's a big year for him. He's got a, a draft ahead of him next year. I think, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, will guys come back or will they go? I mean, this is a guy that you know, had the opportunity to go this year as a sophomore. And now I think it's pretty much inevitable that we think about that as a draft or think about Pat as a draft prospect next year. So yeah, I can't wait to see what, what comes of this. Uh, like I said, I don't know that he wants to take it all the way in terms of a revenge tour or the snub tour or anything like that. Uh, but he, I, I think he's a guy where his talk has been, uh, you know, I guess communicated on the field and he's done that for two years and I expect him to do that once again this year. 
Yeah, Fryermuth back in 2018 became a starter by the end of his first month uh, of his first college season. The rest is history. Each of the last two seasons, his first two at the college level, no Big Ten tight end, caught more touchdown passes. And we'll get to this position a little bit more later on, Sean, but I wrote this week about that tight end room and and how it certainly goes beyond Pat Fryermuth. He's the headliner. Um, he's the guy who's going to get that draft buzz throughout the season, looking toward next spring. Uh, but beyond him, there's going to be a heck of a battle for the number two role with Nick Bowers now departed. And, you know, you've got Theo Johnson on campus. We'll learn a little bit more about his health coming up soon. Um, you've got Tyler Warren heading to campus. you got Nick Elksness uh, committed to the 2021 class. And new offers are going out for that 2021 cycle. As we'll get to, we're going to break down positional needs. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was dead last on your positional need because of what I just said about that room. Well, yeah, it, it's it's tight end. It's running back. It's the same thing. You've got a sort of a loaded room, a stocked room, and all of a sudden, you know, you're recruiting and you've got Nick Elksness in that in that recruiting class right now. But at the same time, you're like, okay, he's visiting Florida. He's got other schools coming after him. You know, if if he moves on, not the worst thing in the world. You're going to recruit a, a high level tight end at some point because really, um, you, you hate to say a position is recruiting itself right now, but you kind of see that at tight end. You kind of see that at running back. So, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a good group. I'm really looking forward to that battle uh, with Koontz and Strange for the number two spot. I think they're both very talented guys. Koontz, uh, really really good athlete. Uh, Strange, you know, just kind of fills some gaps and. He's a guy that probably could have seen the field yet last year as a true freshman, caught that touchdown pass, I think, in the Idaho game and really didn't see much of him after that. But, I mean, that group was so good. You weren't you weren't supplanting uh, Friar Muth and Bowers, and that's something we talked about before. I mean, it's not an indictment on Koontz and Strange that they couldn't get onto the field. It's just two really good tight ends in front of them. So this spring, I'm really looking forward to see what they can do with that offense. I don't know how much we're going to see two tight ends, or maybe they work a couple of those guys in in, in different roles. Uh, but they certainly have the talent to do it. And really, I mean, with what they have at receiver, and they know that they're shorthanded at receiver right now, might as well work those tight ends through and see what you've got with them, because I think it's a, it's a really good group. You'll find that article going in-depth on the tight end room with perspective from Pat Fryermuth and Coach Tyler Bowen up on lines247.com. Sean, you just mentioned the running back room as one that is in excellent condition right now. And uh, for the first time uh, since 2017, the number 26 is back in circulation on the offensive side of the football for the Nittany Lions. The proud owner of it didn't take him long to get this number. Keziah Holmes, who got to campus as an early enrollee in January when he spoke with us uh, last August for the podcast, he mentioned specifically that Saquon Barkley is a player he viewed as an idol, not just because of his success on the football field, but because of his path at the high school level. You know, I think some people forget Saquon Barkley ran for fewer than 300 rushing yards as a high school sophomore, um, didn't have a ton of offers halfway through high school. Keziah Holmes, he was offered by Florida as a receiver. His coaching staff at the high school level was using him as a defensive back. He wasn't really happy there. He had fewer than 100 rushing yards as a sophomore and as an under as an upperclassman back-to-back 1500 yard all-purpose yard campaigns uh he's wearing number 26 uh i think that's notable um obviously because of the saquon barkley thing but i think it also lends credence to what you have heard early and what we have kind of anticipated because holmes enters a crowded room but do not write him off as an instant impact kind of player in 2020 yeah you never want to compare anyone directly to saquon saquon's a generational player Everything I've heard so far about Keziah Holmes from his time on campus, he's got a similar mentality. I don't know that he's, you know, the the complete freak that Saquon was. I, I, I've heard great things about him physically, uh, Holmes that is, uh, physically. 
But man, it's tough to hold back the hype train on this one. Uh, he's he he seems like a player. Just the way that he's gone about it. If he's got the mentality that that they say that he has, and they think that he has, I think he's going to be a very very good player at Penn State. And uh, right now, I mean, the things that that Saquon didn't have to deal with, which is a loaded backfield in front of him, guys that are coming back that have a ton of experience and, and a bunch of talent to to boot. Because uh, Ia Holmes has to deal with it that that Saquon didn't. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see how he handles some things. I think he's versatile. I think, you know, if they de- need to try him out in the slot, if they need to try him, move him around, that's one thing. But I've also heard, you know, he's got a, a really good running back build. I mean, he's, I, I think we saw him as a prospect, saw him as a, uh, as a wildcat quarterback, as a running back, um, as a potential slot guy, as a guy that can, you know, you can fill in a, in a bunch of different ways. He seems like a running back to me. And, uh, Really looking forward to see what he can do. Now he's got Journey Brown in front of him, who I think is the, the unquestioned starter going into the spring. He's got Kane and Ford a class ahead of him. Kevon Lee's going to come in a little bit later, but I'm really looking forward to see what Kaziah Holmes can do. I think he's, uh, you know, he's he, he's got some home run threat to him. He's got a lot of, uh, man, he's got a lot of potential, and I, and it's really tough to to ignore the things that I'm hearing because the the, the people that are saying them I, I trust very greatly, and they're not wrong all that often so uh, i mean that that's me pulling back on the reins right now this hype train but i'm, I'm a really big fan of kaziah holmes i was a big fan of him before he got to penn state from what i've heard from him uh, or about him in his time here it's gonna be tough to keep that kid off the field it also may be notable that the nittany lions are in search of a new kick returner uh this year on special teams possibly a role that he could vie for um in terms of people who are off to a good start in 2020 in Happy Valley, Kaziah Holmes fits that. Uh, but James Franklin's hard to compete with right now, Sean. We've got the contract details coming our way on Wednesday out of Penn State. And we've been waiting on these for a while. Uh, December 5th, it was announced that, that James Franklin had agreed to a contract that was going to uh, carry on through 2025. Now we know how much that's going to pay him, some of the incentives involved here. We'll start with some of the generalities, and then we'll get to why it's more than what the initial numbers may show it's 35.4 million guaranteed through 2025 uh, 5.4 million coming his way this year in 2020 just off the guaranteed money that ranks 12th nationally that's third in the big 10 behind jim harbaugh and uh jeff brom i think people forget that he's up there as well ryan day also linking uh, up to a new contract with the ohio state buckeyes this week uh, based on the initial reporting we've seen from our 24 7 sports ohio state reporters that's going to push him ahead of James Franklin in 2021. Uh, but for now, Franklin's going to be averaging about $5.9 million during the duration of this contract. But here's a few other notables. $5 million buyout in 2020. That de-escalates by $1 million each year moving forward. He gets $300,000 retention bonus this year on December 31st. And if he sticks around, he's still on campus each of the following years. That number goes to $500,000 coming his way for a retention bonus on New Year's Eve. So something for him to look forward to at the end of each year. And then there's an annual $1 million, what they're calling loan for life insurance. Um, There are win related incentives that max out at $1 million per year. That's based on qualifying qualifying for the college football playoff, qualifying for a bowl, uh, getting to uh, the Big Ten championship game, uh, and so on and so forth. There's a car allowance, 50 hours of personal private jet usage, 
end of the day here, uh, James Franklin uh, and his agent and Sandy Barber and the Penn State administration, I think they got where they wanted to be right now. And, and if continued success uh, carries forward for the football program, there'll be more discussions to have in the future. But uh, James Franklin uh, certainly being rewarded for the success, 42-11 and 11 since 2016 with a Big Ten title and three New Year's Six games. There's a lot of zeros on here, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling through it now, and I read it yesterday, and it just it takes a while for those numbers to sink in. Major college football, man. Um, but uh, it's uh, our contracts don't look like this with uh, CBS and 24 Seven Sports. Not by yet. The way. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's there's there's a lot of creative uh, bookkeeping in here, and I'm 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 impressed with uh, with what I've seen both from from both sides. Really, I mean, it's uh, the buyout is the thing that's going to jump out at you. Um, but I look at some of the deferred compensation, you know, that, that, that loan for life insurance that's a million dollars a year. Um, that's something that he's going to benefit from, you know, in, in terms of, you know, way down the line. And that's that's something that did, they did similarly with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. So this you're going to see the figures and, and he's not going to match some of those guys in the Big Ten in terms of salary or uh, base pay or anything like that. Um, but it's it, it it's a really good contract. I mean, <laughs> there, there's a lot of money that's going to end up in James Franklin's pocket because of the creativity there. And then on top of it, um, you know, if you're Penn State, you know, you're you're kind of uh, protecting yourself in a sense that, that they leave some of that on the table as well, that they, you know, the, the, the buyout is one thing, but the deferred compensation helps with that. It's just it's, there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. And those numbers that we see in that the little PDF that they sent out. Um, may mean one thing right now, but in 10 or 15 years are going to mean a lot more for, for that. And I think it's going to benefit uh, you know both sides from this contract. And the fact that it's done, the fact that it's out there, that's only going to help uh, recruiting. It's only going to help uh, what's going on. And I feel like We've talked about this a bunch. I think there's a lot not in there that 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 can be uh, attributed to this contract in terms of uh, staff salary, uh, you know, the, the assistant pool that they're going to get, uh, commitment to facilities, which is something James Franklin's been huge about. Um, so it wasn't always the salary thing. There's a lot that goes into it, but I think it's a good deal for both sides. And if they keep winning like that, he has won in the last several years. I mean, you gotta you gotta say that it's uh, it's warranted in this situation. Not that you know, not that we're stumping for everybody to make six million dollars or seven million dollars, but it's warranted in the market, and that's what you're gonna deal with it at this point. It's it's all about the market. It's not so much about personal worth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for what it's worth, five coaches set to go into 2020, uh, making seven million plus for the year. The top three, no surprise: Dabo Sweeney, nine point three million; Nick Saban, nine point one million; Ed Orgeron, who just won a national title at eight point seven million. The next two on that list give you some pause for sure: Jim Harbaugh at eight million, Jimbo Fisher down at Texas A&M, seven point five million. So again, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, and you keep going. We have the full list of the top ten up on lines247.com that give you a kind of an indication of how that base guaranteed cash compares to other college football coaches in 2020. Uh, something tells me there may be some decisions that some schools would like to have back if they could, but that's the way things go. Certainly Penn State hopes this is a, a very quality investment. Certainly so far it has been since 2014, uh, what James Franklin encountered to what he has done with the program moving ahead. And, and, you know, last year it was F it was Florida state that came calling Southern Cal 
Texas A&M in the past have been rumored to to be in pursuit of James Franklin. Uh, there is some drama. I know fans don't love it. Franklin says he doesn't love it, although at the end of the day, it certainly is beneficial for him. Um, but James Franklin value, if it continues to increase and, and teams and, and programs and who knows, maybe an NFL franchise, if they you know knock around the door, make those phone calls, at the end of the day, that means Penn State is getting the job done on the field, Sean. I think that's the main thing to keep in perspective here. The thing to root for, the $800,000 bonus for winning the college football national championship game. So uh, that's uh, that's where to put it. And yeah, it's it's all market-based. It's all kind of crazy. It's, it's also kind of crazy. Um, you know, we're talking about a hot seat after two, seven and six years heading into 2016. So that's, uh, you can go a long way in a short time and you can make a lot of money in that time. And James Franklin's doing that. And, uh, I mean, you know, that, that buyout is not, uh, something that nobody can overcome. I mean, that, that, that's a fairly low buyout. So we'll see where it goes from that situation. I don't think that drama is really going away every off season or every other off season or something like that, but still put himself in a pretty good position for, for a really good contract. James Franklin was 16 and 14 through 30 games when Penn State got blown out at Michigan back in 2016. He's lost nine times since then, Sean. So it is quite the turnaround for this program, and, and he is the figurehead at the top of it. Um, when you look at the head coaching position, that's going to get a lot of attention. You work your way all the way down the ladder of the staff. You find the graduate assistants who are striving to get where James Franklin is someday down the line in their career. And a couple of Penn State alumni, as you've reported, Sean, back in town to contribute to this staff in the 2020 season. Yep, making some uh, moves at the GA graduate assistant position. Penn State lost three after the 2019 season. Mark Dupuy, Kevin Reiner, and uh, Kevin Smith all went to Old Dominion with Ricky Ronnie. They're now position coaches, which is a good step up for those guys. Reiner was the only one that had any time left as a Penn State GA, so Dupuy and Smith were going to be out of here regardless. Um, But uh, good moves for them. So that, that left three open. Jeff Carpenter, who was a student assistant with Penn State for four years, uh, has been bounced around a couple of places, and, and he's back as a uh, as a graduate assistant. He was an analyst, uh, moving to the GA role now. And then you got Dion Barnes and Wendy Laurent, two former Nittany Lions, uh, you know, two guys who I covered the recruitment back in the day. So I'm I'm definitely getting older. Um, but Wendy was at Buffalo last year as a graduate assistant. Took some time off after football. Got back into the game last year. Coached, you know, had a hand in a really good offensive line at Buffalo that we saw firsthand uh, back in September when they played, you know, pretty well against Penn State's defensive line. Um, but uh, he's going to be back working with uh, Phil Troutwine in the offensive line. On the flip side, Dion Barnes. This is a guy we've been watching for a long time. Uh, you know, after his pro career wrapped up, had some a short time in the AAF uh, before that league folded. He went back to Philly. Got into coaching. He was a defensive coordinator at Northeast High last year. Uh, for, for him to get that call, um, you know, it says a lot because I, I don't think it's any secret. I mean, he left a year early, probably should have stayed, was undrafted, really didn't uh, have the pro career that he thought he might. Um, so he was wondering if there was a, a splintered, uh, I guess, uh, relationship there with James Franklin. James Franklin's going to bring him back. I think that's a, a move that can pay dividends. Dion's a bright guy, really good football mind, um, and he's really well-respected in Philadelphia. Now, he can't go out on the road. He can't go recruit these guys um, unless they're on campus, but just having his presence here, I think, is a big deal for Penn State as they try to uh, sort of uh, reemerge as a team in south southeastern Pennsylvania and also, by extension, South Jersey and, and Delaware, that area. Um, I think Dion Barnes can have a really positive effect on this and uh you know as, as a defensive coordinator seven shutouts last year so obviously he's picked up some things and it trains a bunch of defensive linemen down in philadelphia so well respected down there i think it's a, a good move for both and you don't 
always see um, alum coming back and getting opportunities at, at grad or as grad assistants or as assistant coaches or anything like that. Uh, I think it's a nice little, uh, I won't call it an olive branch because I don't know that he needs an olive branch, but it's a nice little uh, hat tip to the letterman to, to bring those guys back because obviously, you know, the, these are premium positions at Penn State. It's a big jump for these guys, a big opportunity, but let's let's also make it very clear. These are not glamorous roles. The GAs do a little bit of everything for literally everybody in that hierarchy within a college football program. They probably have some interns and some player development guys that they can uh, instruct to do things for them. But, uh, you know, saw firsthand for three years uh, back at Rutgers, these guys sleeping on cots. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they bring wives to campus and, and, you know, God bless those women for supporting these guys and in their endeavors. It's a little bit like minor league baseball. The pay isn't great. The hours aren't great. You don't get the glamour of the profession, but if you do well there, you eventually get that role. Someone you work for or work with, like a Ricky Ronnie moves on to another job. He brings you a step up the ladder and you just continue that network. Maybe you end up back at Penn State. Tyler Bowen, a great example of that, a former graduate assistant. He's making a lot more now to work for Penn State than he was back then. And he has a lot more input on what they do as a program. By the way, I don't know if we mentioned this last week. You reported this as well. Adam Brenneman, a former Penn State tight end who went on to Massachusetts, uh, Arizona State offensive grad assistant under Herm Edwards. So uh, another former Penn State player, you know, getting in, into that coaching realm and with, with the big move in Power 5 football. Yes, um, uh, Naeem Wartman, by the way, uh, was a grad assistant for, for Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, uh, obviously a former Penn State linebacker. He's at New Hampshire now, got a job. Uh, what you mentioned about minor league baseball is funny. Kevin Smith, who was the defensive line assistant for three years for Sean Spencer as a grad assistant, uh, is now at Old Dominion. He had a kid last year. I mean, I can't imagine uh, you know being married, being a grad assistant, having a kid keeping up with uh to be he was here three years which means he got the minimum amount of or excuse me the he got a certain amount of credits that he had to get to get a third year as a grad assistant so that's uh it says something about that it's uh coaching's not for everyone man i've been talking to a bunch of coaches it's uh it's a grind um you know you see the numbers for the big guys uh, you see james franklin's contract it's one thing but uh when you're talking about, you know, Naeem Wartman going to New Hampshire, that's a that's a big jump, and uh, we'll see what happens with those guys. Obviously, some some good football minds, and like I said, these are premium positions in college football in terms of guys get trying to get their foot in the door. Uh, it's one reason, you know, when I talked to Brenneman a couple of weeks ago, that you know you really didn't expect to get to coaching, but you have an opportunity like this, you got to capitalize on it, and and we're seeing that happen. Uh, I, I mean, going back to some other grad assistants, you talk about uh, Joe Brady was a grad assistant. Ryan Smith is now at Virginia Tech as a cornerbacks coach Elijah Robinson was a grad assistant at one point Penn State wanted him as their defensive line coach so uh this is uh this is a I guess a fast track to to some pretty good jobs and so far looking back at the GA tracker that we did back in December or January or whenever it was I think it was I think it was January uh these guys are landing some good jobs so these are names to know because they're going to pop up on the radar either sooner or later it's it's a long ladder to climb. Back in 1995, James Franklin, Kutztown wide receivers coach. So uh, if you get to the top of this profession, it's something. But along the way, if you do not have passion for this, you will get exposed and, and you will probably have to find uh, somewhere else to go earn a paycheck. Um, from the new guys who just got to campus and Barnes, um, NFL Combine underway. These guys just left campus and now they're looking to make a major leap into the NFL. Uh, we know that the situations are going to vary among the five players who are out in Indianapolis right now. Yitor Grossmatos, uh, you look along these mock drafts as of now going into to the scouting 
scouting combine certainly looks to be in a good position in the back half of the first round. KJ Hamler, a lot of variables there, but you often see him top 50 uh, going in the second round. Some have him creeping up to the back end of the first round. It's a pretty impressive wide receiver group. And then you got three seniors who, who left Penn State, and they're all trying to make their case. Cam Brown at linebacker, Robert Windsor at defensive tackle, John Reed at cornerback. Two of those players, Windsor and Reed, had five years in Happy Valley, so a long way for them to get to this stage. And uh, it's all going to be broadcast. It starts tonight. We're recording on Thursday morning. I think we're about six, seven hours away, Sean, from seeing the, the wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks hit the field, which means KJ Hamler time. Um, and he got some attention early this week. We have a story up on the site. It will not be running the 40-yard dash, and I think that's where a lot of the spotlight was for K.J. Hamler going into this process in Indianapolis. He's not going to wow you with his speed. He measured in at about 5 foot, or I'm sorry, he's going to wow you with his speed. He's not going to wow you with his size. He measured in uh, at sub uh, sub 180, I think he was about 178 pounds, and then sub 5'9", he's 5'8 and a half. Um, so those measurements aren't going to encourage a lot of NFL scouts. Uh, what he said was he tweaked his hamstring during training, says he was running a 4 Two seven during training, and and that's what we have him uh, and what he did during his days at Penn State in that same range. And he said he said he's not going to settle for anything other than in the four two range. And last year, uh, just to give a comparison here of, of how impressive that would be, one player at the NFL Combine where they have more than three hundred guys competing ran under a 4-3 last year. It was a 4-2-9 from a safety. So if KJ Hamler were to go and run a 4-2-7, uh, that would turn a lot of heads, but he's going to have to do it at Penn State's Pro Day in March uh, because of that injury. He says he will be competing, though. It sounds like, uh, so hopefully we'll get a chance to see him running some routes with some of these quarterback prospects. And he caught some attention from Philadelphia Eagles fans in a big way, it seemed, on Wednesday because... Not only did he say that Deshaun Jackson uh, was kind of the guy he emulated uh, to be, uh, which makes a lot of sense considering uh, their skill sets, but he also called Miles Sanders his best friend, said they've talked about playing together in Philadelphia, and I think Eagles fans have a very good impression of Miles Sanders becoming a Rookie of the Year finalist during his first year in Philly. So I, I know you hate when we get into the Eagles talk, but uh, it was kind of an easy, easy connect the dots situation for, for a story that I put up earlier this week. I thought Sean Clifford was his best friend, though. <laughs> Don't tell Sean. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting with KJ Hamler from a size standpoint. He's not going to wow anybody in that uh, in that measurement sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, you're going to get out to see him. And I, I, selfishly, I would have loved to see him run at the combine. I think he could have been right around that 4-3 mark, 4-2-7 at Penn State. And, and typically, Penn State's times have been strikingly accurate, uh, almost – you know, terrifyingly accurate given given what they've uh, put up on the board. So, was really looking forward to see KJ run. We'll see him at the pro day. Um, yeah, I mean that's that that's really where he's going to make his money. I mean they they know he's fast. Uh, they just want to verify that and see where it goes with that. I mean he's he's a player that uh, there, there's a couple of slot guys in this draft that maybe you could lump in together as similar. But you know he's got some some real playmaking ability, and that's something where. This is a position where if a team, say the Eagles, falls falls in love with them, moves them up the, into the second round and uh, can really, I guess, place a premium on what he brings to the table as a uh, as a playmaker, then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking you're looking pretty good if you're KJ Hamler. So excited to see how he moves around. I think that uh, I don't know. He said he's not going to run the 40, but uh, I don't know that he mentioned the other stuff. I saw him put up 15 reps on the bench, which, you know, for his size, for anybody's size, really, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. So. Um, curious to see how he performs in Indy and how much he does in Indy, but his pro day is really where he's going to make his money. 
and we'll look forward to covering that when it comes to Penn State in March. Um, meanwhile, CBS says that Yitor Grossmatos was a, quote, winner of, of the check-in for what it's worth. And this is hot take season. I, I don't think much compares to the build-up to the NFL draft on an annual basis. When you talk about day-to-day, the hot takes you see one way or the other, oftentimes conflicting with each other from people who are on the same field or covering the same event. Uh, but Grossmatos off to a solid start. No edge rusher. Had a longer wingspan. 82 and a quarter inches. That's not necessarily surprising if you've watched him compete for Penn State. Big part of his game was those long arms. Six foot five, 266 pounds, and he is firmly in position right now uh, to be Penn State's first player off the board. And if he is selected in the first round, Sean, that's notable. The f- he would be the first defensive lineman selected in the first round out of Penn State in 10 years. That is notable. I didn't realize that stat, uh, uh, especially with all the productive defensive linemen that Penn State have ha- has had. But yeah, I think it's a good start for for Gross Matos at the combine. Those numbers are pretty much in line with what we expected. But you know, you want to match expectations when you get to Indy. Uh, what's funny about that is he he had that what eighty two and a quarter inch wingspan at six uh, six five two sixty six. Cam Brown at six five and a quarter, uh, two thirty three had a seventy eight and seven eighths wingspan. So you've got you know a, a little bit over three inches longer wingspan for Yuto Gross Matos. Just to, it's kind of funny when you sort of juxtapose Cam Brown beside Yuto uh, Gross Matos and see what you're getting from from a length perspective. So it's uh, I think they're going to continue to do well. I'm curious to see how John Reed does personally. I mean I think that uh, probably has some better tape than people will want to remember. I think when when you when he was asked to man up, he did pretty well. Um, drew some unfortunate flags at times this year, but I think he played better than a lot of people thought he did. Um, so I'm curious to see how he fits. Uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, tracking and doing that uh, combine tracker that's up at Lions 24-7, they didn't even have a, uh, a scouting report for Reed. So that uh, says something about where they think that he slots right now. So can he move into being a draftable prospect? Can he, you know, move up the board at all? We will see. It's probably probably the most riding on uh, on anything for John Reed. I'm curious to see how he runs. He ran in the four fours at Penn State. We'll see how that uh, how that comes along for him. Reed is easy to root for, especially when you do factor in his journey at Penn State. I think coming off his freshman year. Um, you know, uh, being part of, you know, being a significant player uh, for that team early and, and during their rise uh, to the Big Ten Championship, you know, he was, you know, you were hearing about him maybe being an early entry to the NFL draft eventually in his career and maybe having an opportunity uh, to be a, a top tier NFL draft prospect. He ends up on campus for five years and by the time he gets to the end of the process, played a lot of football, uh, but did not generate that kind of professional buzz that, that it looked may accompany him early in his career. So we'll see a second savvy kid, uh, someone who prided himself on, on watching more film uh, than, than just about anybody in the facility. Um, and, and that's going to go a long way for him when, when, when these teams eventually have to make tough roster decisions, who they're going to add after the draft. We've seen players find a pathway uh, to rosters via undrafted free agency. Um, you don't know if that'll end up the reality for him, but uh, very we- very may well could be. And, and hey, worked out for Kevin Givens in the long run. He was on the sideline for a Super Bowl uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs uh, just about a month ago, and that's the path he took. So uh, we will keep tabs on them. We'll have more coming out of the Combine next week, some takeaways. And, and uh, again, there'll be hot takes everywhere. We'll see what's worth plucking what's talking about and then we'll talk about penn state's pro day uh in march Uh, sean we're going to take a quick commercial break but when we get back we're going to break down a piece you just put up penn state's top positional priorities for the 2021 recruiting class a lot to dive in there you will want to listen to that conversation but first a word from our sponsors 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Early groundwork has been laid for Penn State with a 2021 class. Three verbal commitments on board. Offensive lineman Nate Bruce, uh, Sean Clifford's little brother Liam in Cincinnati could end up as a defensive back, could end up as a wide receiver. And then Nick Elksness down in Jacksonville, Florida at the tight end position. So there is a long way to go in building out this group. And Sean, you put up uh, just before we came on this podcast, they should be pretty much side by side on the front page of lines247.com by the time this podcast uh, goes up. A positional breakdown in terms of priority for Penn State moving ahead uh, to the December signing period. We'll see what maybe lies ahead next February. They didn't use it this year, but a long way to go. And, and you start that list with a couple key defensive spots at the top, defensive end, right behind it, safety. No doubt. And this is uh, last year. You kind of had the uh, the advantage of spraying numbers everywhere. Twenty seven assignees back in December. This class is going to be a little bit smaller, and that number is still working its way out because you know not a ton of attrition in this off season. You know, as as kind of we expected, but at the same time, it's going to have to. You know, you got to get to eighty five at some point. But uh, you know, the, the the top of the list at at my from my standpoint at least uh defensive end and safety are two huge ones defensive end you could argue that Penn State took two last year if you have Zariah Fisher in that mix or you know maybe even more if you could say Amin Vanover is going to be there or something like that but you need numbers at that position Shane Simmons and Shaka Tony are gone after this season you've got uh, Jason Oway and Adisa Isaac who are creeping toward uh NFL draft eligibility um and you never you never can count on those guys to stay four or five years so We'll see what happens from that standpoint, but from uh, yeah, I guess a shorter uh, a shorter view of that, Bryce Mostella is the only true defensive end that you brought in last year, so you're going to need to replenish that with numbers. You got guys out there like Aaron Armitage, like Elijah Judy, uh, there's a couple other guys that are out there, and then all of a sudden you bring John Scott Jr. into the mix. He's got relationships in other parts of the country, as we spec- as we got into last week. Um, so it, it's going to be a very important cycle for defensive end. I mean, you don't want to fall behind. This is a premium position. This is a, a spot that Penn State has made a premium position when you talk about what they like to recruit on defense. You always go with uh, defensive end and cornerback at the top and in terms of your potential game changers. And and really, after last season, they're they're due for another rise at defensive end. So we'll see what happens. The region is is solid, but not great. We'll see if they go out of region and, and they dip into the Carolinas, maybe get into Florida, see if they can bring some of those guys up for official visits. I don't really think the, the crystal ball is all that clear on this one. Armitage is, the, is an obvious choice. Uh, 
excuse me, and I think Penn State leads the crystal ball in that one. Judy is up there as well. You've got a, a variety of body types, a variety of athletes, and and we still haven't seen what John Scott Jr. will like to, to, to bring at the position. Uh, obviously, oftentimes you work with what's given to you from that standpoint, but you know, sometimes you got to go out and grab uh, different guys and, and make some different things work. Safety last year, you brought in uh, Jair Brown as a, as a junior college safety. Enzo Jennings is on campus already. Um, you, you had a, another commitment, Elijah Gaines, that didn't really work out there at the end of the cycle. So all of a sudden, you, you, this is a number that year. This is a position that you wanted to boost in numbers last year. They've done that uh, with position change in this offseason, but uh, it's it's really going to be. A, Excuse me. Uh, I just keep choking on myself. Uh, It's going to be a position where you need to throw numbers at to get a a balance back at that position. Tyler Rudolph was there last year. He redshirted. But now you've got uh, you've got an opportunity to go out. Uh, Derek Davis has been a target for a long time. Jalen Reed out in Michigan. I think they lead for Um, that's going to be a a situation where you have to get get him back for an official visit and sort of stay and hold on to that lead. You got a couple other guys out there, but uh, really no sure things in this uh, in this class at defensive end at safety. And those are very important positions for Penn State. Davis was the very first 2021 prospect to receive a Penn State offer. uh, I think it was within a few weeks of his freshman season. Sean, the quarterback position here at number three, uh, there is always a need for a quarterback in every class. I always say you don't skip quarterback classes. Penn State's going to enter 2020 with three guys who carry four seasons of college eligibility. uh, The red shirts, Taquan Roberson and Michael Johnson Jr. And then additionally, the newcomer, Micah Bowens. Each of those players bring, you know, their own skill set, their own track record that they established in high school getting to this point as power five quarterbacks but none of them were you know slam dunk uh set it and forget it viewed prospects like a caleb williams certainly is now in this class and caleb williams is that uh guy who's topped the wish list for a long time we've talked about him a lot last episode we we Got into a little bit of the reasons why we think Garrett Nussmeyer down in Texas, despite a couple Penn State visits, is likely headed elsewhere when he announces a commitment expected this spring. Christian Veyu down at the Bowl of School in Maryland, out of Ontario, Canada, can't maybe is the most realistic guy. But to me, my my wonder is, Kirk Sharaka, James Franklin, what is the timeline for when you start exploring new offers? The spring camp circuit's going to give you some new looks, new feedback on some of these guys. Summer certainly will do the same, but to me, at the quarterback spot, you're talking about the summer before senior year. That's late in the game to, to offer a new quarterback. Certainly, it's been done before, but uh, I do wonder where Penn State's going to take the, this target board, especially the longer Caleb Williams holds things out, and if Christian Veyu and Penn State maybe aren't ready to come to the table quite yet. Yeah, Williams holds a ton of cards nationally, not only with Penn State. So uh, it's it, it's just an interesting s- dynamic from that because he seems like he's in no hurry to decide. On the flip side, I don't see these guys getting to the fall without making a decision. Very rarely does that happen with a big-time quarterback unless he comes back onto the market. So what, what's interesting to me about that is Kirk Shiraka is going to have to, I guess, show the Minnesota offense, get creative, and, and, and show what he can, what he thinks the Penn State offense will look like down the road. And that's not an easy sell. I mean, he brought in Christian Veyu a couple of weeks ago. They watched the film, the Penn State versus Minnesota film watching the Minnesota offense and things like that. So that's one uh, that's creative on one hand, but time, I mean, from a timeline standpoint, you're not going to have uh, forever to work with, with some of these guys. I still see Veyu as, as the most realistic target. I think it's interesting. There's a couple of dynamics in here. Obviously Williams. I mean, look, I, you don't want to say that 
you know, you're going to hold out and wait for one guy. But when Williams is sort of holding the cards like he does, that affects Veyu not only at uh, at Penn State, but other places. You know, you know, if, if all of a sudden Williams holds out and then goes to Oklahoma late in the summer, or goes to LSU or something like that, that impacts Nussmeyer. That impacts Veyu from a standpoint of does Clemson offer Veyu and, and, and come into the mix. So there's a lot of uh, dominoes left to fall. I don't know that you're looking at new offers right now. I don't think that that's uh, really something unless a guy like uh, uh, like Will Levis did a couple of years ago popped onto the scene on the camp circuit. I don't know that that's all that realistic, and I don't. I certainly know you can't really hold out for something like that. So I think that this is something that's going to develop as official visits take place June, uh, and then that little the little little window in July. You want to get these guys back on campus and see where you stand at that point, because at that point you you'd ideally like to have your quarterback in the house. I mean, this is that would be late by any other year standard, but uh, I mean that's uh, that's a long time to go without a centerpiece to your class. I with you. I think if there is an offer, it's going to be to a guy like Will Levis, who's viewed as an ascending figure, someone who's racking up the Power 5 offers all of a sudden in April and May. And we see those kind of risers towards the end of their junior year, especially if they're at a at a program that isn't necessarily producing Power 5 talent on an annual basis. Maybe there's a name that emerges there. Um, of course, you always got to think of... And that's the evaluation period. I mean, Kirk Shiraka right. is going to get out and see guys throw in April and, and, and May and try and figure out if they fit onto their board. I mean, this is a, a board that that might expand it's not a guarantee to expand like I said I still think that uh, the most realistic prospect is, is Veyu I think he's a really good player and that's a uh, that's probably we probably you know sort of uh snub him when we talk about Caleb Williams Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the country so everybody wants him no doubt but I think Veyu can play at a lot of places including Penn State and of course, there's always the possibility for a commitment flip, something Penn State went to in different circumstances with Tommy Stevens, uh, Trace McSorley. That's always a possibility as well, especially when you bring in Kirk Shiraka, who has his own separate history with this 2021 quarterback and, class. And his own evaluations. You yeah. got to trust your evaluations. That, that's what they did with Tommy is that, you know, this is a guy that Ricky Ronnie targeted, um, you know, from the start, didn't really offer him or anything like that. But you got to trust your evaluations, keep up your evaluations and keep your options uh, open. And, you know, you, you're not going to find a guy that's you know you're not going to flip a guy that's committed to Georgia you're not going to flip a guy that's committed you know that, that it's from out of the region committed to a, uh, a power school in his reason you got to find that you got to trust your op- or your uh, evaluation and go from there and that's a that's a tricky thing to do Next up on your pecking order for positional needs, Joseph Johnson was the only cornerback that we anticipate the only cornerback in the 2020 class. He got on campus in January, but you were still seeing uh, a limited approach there at the position and the big name as well, the five-star Tony Grimes. He has set December 1st as his decision date. He has already set an official visit in season to Penn State, been on campus with mom, been on campus with dad. Uh, there's a lot to like about that relationship, but there's a lot to be worried about because of the crowded uh, aspect of his recruitment and, and the other programs that are involved. He tops this list, and, and you've got cornerback just behind safety in terms of defensive priorities. It's it's a sneaky positional need right now because you don't you look at the roster. You say you took four two years ago or two cycles ago. Um, you took one last year, so there, there's numbers there, but maybe not balance. I mean, I'm thinking you're probably taking two here. You want Grimes, no doubt about it. Uh, you'd love Jordan Hancock, but that's that ship is is probably sailing at this point, considering all the uh, offers that he's gotten, all the interest that he's gotten nationwide. 
Um, but no, you've got guys like De- uh, Dehan De- De- Warren at uh, Lackawanna, um, which kind of fits into the the, the numbers game, kind of doesn't. We talked about those Juco guys before. They're kind of in their own separate little pile, but he's a really, really good player at Lackawanna. Like I said, I put uh, I said on the podcast last week, I put him up there with Brisker in terms of guys that, uh, you know, in terms of a prospect coming out of Lackawanna. But you've got guys like Jeff Davis who could, could be a, a corner of safety, and that's another thing to think about. You've got uh, guys that have flexibility from that uh, from that angle and and go from there. Uh, Kalen King in Michigan, Ryan Barnes from Maryland is going to visit in March. So you got a lot of options out there, a lot of talented options out there, and Penn State's recruited the position fairly well. Um, so you're going to have options here at some point. I just think it's a, a really important position. Numbers may not be the, at the top, but I think it's a really important position to fill out that secondary as a whole in this class. Number five on your list, and probably the position with the highest ceiling for Penn State in the 2021 cycle, offensive line. The name should be familiar to our listeners by now. Uh, it is now uh, Phil Troutwine behind the steering wheel. You know He has a five-player class in 2020. He didn't personally recruit any of them to Penn State. He did uh, recruit some of them or try to uh, up to Boston College. But this is his show now, and, and there is a lot to like about the foundations they've led. Uh, but it's going to be tough with some guys on this list for sure. This is this is where the February dead period really sort of stalled and, uh, you know, kind of punched him in the gut here is because you were getting those guys on campus. Some of them, uh, like Wyatt Millen, was scheduled to come up in January. The weather turned uh, turned on him and he wasn't able to make it up. So now all of a sudden you're sort of trying to get back some some of that momentum that you had with Millen. I know Notre Dame and West Virginia are up there as well. Tristan Lee is a guy that you had on campus a bunch. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's got the LSU offer. He's got the Clemson offer. And, you know, he hasn't been on campus. I think December was the last time he was on campus, which doesn't seem like a long time ago, but a lot can happen happen in that short amount of time so you got to get those two uh, guys like those two guys back on campus in March and maybe April to uh, you know sort of recapture any momentum that you would have had with them of course you know we're always looking at the top of the board Nolan Rucci I mean you you want to get him back on campus as much as possible sort of a I, I don't want to say a, a okay we'll say a vital recruit for for Troutwine and for Penn State in this cycle bring uh, given his potential and what he brings to the table as an in-state kid as a legacy kid and that's not a be-all end-all or anything like that but you got this kid in your backyard uh, obviously you make him a priority and then Landon Tangwall is the fourth guy that we we mentioned in there uh he's going to be back on campus uh in, in late March uh, or early April I can't remember how the calendar falls with that but between Notre Dame visits and once again that's uh it's be an important stretch to to get him back on campus and uh, you know when he's going to announce he says uh, April-ish is when he plans on announcing I mean you want to get him back on, uh, as many times as possible and and be one of the centerpieces and be one of the recruiters in this class yeah, landing Ritchie would be a major and, and a much needed shot in the arm for Penn State in terms of Pennsylvania recruiting prowess. Wide receiver, like offensive line, five players added with the 2020 class. They really, really needed those numbers. They need some of these guys to compete on the field right away for them in 2020. And I think anticipation is that you need another big wide receiver class again in this cycle. Yeah, and there's talent out there. Dante Thornton, of course, was in the class for a short period of time. Julio Farouk, Caden Prather, a couple of other guys out uh, on the outstretches of that region uh, are out there too. So um, it's going to be an important part. I think the, the reason I have this 
so high. And I say high be- in a relative nature because number six is kind of on that, uh, you know, you'll see it when we get later in the list. It's kind of on that uh, teetering on the edge there. Um, but you brought five in last year. So numbers wise, you don't need a ton, but you need some talent because you need these guys to, to turn the corner. You like what you've heard about Keandre Lambert so far. We like Parker Washington a lot as a potential early impact guy, but really w- with with the unproven nature of the position on campus right now, you're going to have to find some guys and, and go with it. And there's good with that comes opportunity for these uh, 2021 guys. Number seven on your list, linebacker life's been good for that room lately Four five-star prospects in the last three cycles, depending on how you view Zariah Fisher. And at this point, Penn state's telling us they view him as a linebacker. They signed three linebackers of uh, viewed as blue chip prospects, including five-star Curtis Jacobs in the 2020 cycle. A lot of names out there. We've talked a lot about Damian Robinson out of Maryland. A little bit of Parsons to what he brings to the field. Um, he's the headliner here, but you know this is a position where I think there's a lot to sell, and Brent Pry's been around for so long. It should be a position of strength for them on the recruiting trail really year after year. I think I'm curious about linebacker the most. If it meshes with one of the positions around it, do you take a safety that's eventually going to be a linebacker? Do you take a linebacker that maybe like a Keyshawn Bennett up in New England that could be a linebacker defensive end type? So there's a lot that goes into this, but really Damian Robinson, uh, that's your blue chipper. That's the guy that you want in this class. And if you can get Damian Robinson, uh, you know, you don't fold up shop and and pack it up, but uh, you're feeling pretty good about where you stand. So I think that that from what they've brought in the last couple of years of course uh two or three guys probably three right off the bat if you include Zariah Fisher into that mix linebacker is pretty healthy at Penn State right now so that's why they're a little bit lower on the list and that's why you're probably only gonna see maybe one or two guys in this class uh at that position but you've also got the versatility guy like Jamari Budden out in Michigan Penn State made him think when he visited last month uh you've got an opportunity to uh if you have the opportunity to bolster that that unit with a top another top level athlete you got to take that uh you got to take that opportunity there's a long-standing recruiting approach that you throw numbers, big numbers on the offensive and defensive line, and you see what you get. They've done that at defensive tackle. And you note here in your story, Antonio Shelton's the only guy projected to leave after 2021. And I think P.J. Mustafer will see what he does. He's a junior. He has a big opportunity to make a leap here. But beyond Shelton, 12 scholarships allotted in 2021. As you note, that's a lot. Uh, so barring some change here or, or guys hitting the portal – this can't be a massive defensive tackle class, you would think, at number eight on your list. Yeah, that's a lot of scholarships. And and just for, you know, in terms of what you bring to the table, defensive tackles are very important. Game-changing defensive tackles can get you into the playoff. Um, are all those guys on the list game changers? Probably not. So you're going to probably see some attrition at some point. Um, but that's that's still a lot of people. That's 14% of your scholarship roster. Sorry, I had to do the math uh, on my calculator here because I'm not a math guy. Uh, but that's a lot of defensive tackles. You probably, um, you know, un- unless there's somebody that you can't turn down, probably just going to take one in this class. And, and, and there's some good ones out there. Taiwan Malone's out there. Tyleek Williams has been up a bunch. Dorian Ford out in Pittsburgh has been up uh, quite a few times. So you've got options there. We'll and, and again, same thing we said about defensive end. Not sure what John Scott's looking for in a player, um, but I guess you've got options there at defense. You've probably got more option, options at defensive tackle than you do at defensive end in the region. And then we take a plunge here, I think, from number eight to, to nine, ten, which you've kind of bunched together, I would imagine. They will be on the top of the list in terms of current talent on Penn State's roster. They're on the bottom of this list in terms of recruiting needs at the positions. Running back, tight end, you've got them in that order. I think you can mix and match that. Um, But the good thing here is 
you feel pretty confident. The numbers aren't going to be big. You don't have a huge need, but you feel pretty confident that whoever does put pen to paper in December at either of these positions going to be a, a high quality player. I took the cop out here, and, and if you if you check out the, the end of that, I'm like, well, they're going to get somebody. I don't know who it is. <laughs> and I, th- I feel like about this time last year, maybe a little bit later in the process last year, we were talking about running back, and we were like, I'm not sure who it's going to be. It's probably not going to be Chris Tyree or Marshawn Lloyd or uh, whoever the other one, Jalen Berger might have been the other one at that point. Uh, but they end up with Keziah Holmes, and they seem pretty happy with that. So these, were, the, these are positions that – aren't quite recruiting themselves, but it's pretty close. Jay Wansider and Tyler Bowen have done a fantastic job stocking the uh, the cupboard in both of these positions. And really, you're not going to worry too much about what they're going to bring in. Like I said, Elksness is committed to Penn State right now. Does he stay committed? I'm not sh- not so sure about that because of distance, because of a couple other things, because of who's coming after him pretty hard. He's Like I said, he's, he's a three-star in 24-7 sports, but I think he's a really good player. So uh, we'll see what happens on that uh, on that wavelength. But they've, they're, they're covering their bases. They've offered a bunch of tight ends they've got guys coming in for visits uh in the month or the next two months and we'll see where it goes from there i'm confident that both of those spots penn state's going to fill with with a pretty good player not sure not completely sure who it is at this point in two of the last three cycles penn state signed a pair of tight ends uh, a couple new offers going out in february jack pew um in in uh, ohio and then also elijah arroyo uh, in texas thomas fedone in iowa so three new offers in february and brock bowers out of california coming to visit campus this uh this next month as well so a lot of action despite the fact that they do have one player on board at the position that's going to uh, wrap up this positional breakdown i think that's going to wrap up this podcast as well sean um any other notes to add here before we move forward? Um, I'm not sold that they're, they're going to pass up a specialist this year. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Last year, it turned out to be Jordan Stout. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's important. You've got Pinnegar and Stout as juniors uh, in terms of eligibility next season. Um, so you're going to have to bring on a specialist at some point. Uh, the, the portal has made it different. I mean, are you looking for a guy that's that's already been established, that's looking for a shot that maybe was a walk-on like Stout was at Virginia Tech? Um, you know, that's that's sort of up in the air. Joe Lorig's going to look for, for high school guys. He's going to look for uh, transfers. He's going to look for a lot of different things. And I could see a scholarship allotted uh, in this cycle for a uh, specialist. I don't know whether that will be a high school guy, whether that be a transfer. But I do think that they're they're sort of planning for a specialist in this cycle at some point. Something to monitor, something else to look forward to. Next week's episode will be fresh out of the Penn State weight room. Uh, we'll get granted access uh, for a couple of hours in there as they wrap up winter conditioning program. And uh, always a great opportunity to pick the brain of Dwight Galt, uh, widely considered one of the best in the profession at what he does, building up these players uh, to become athletic beasts and what you eventually see in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. The results speak for themselves. It'll be a nice time to get an update uh, across the roster, especially some of the younger players and how they're developing. So, Look ahead to that next week. We're also going to jump into some more basketball on an upcoming podcast as well with Mark Brennan. It is nearly done, the regular season for for the Hoops team. So uh, Nettie Lyons going to be moving on to Big Ten tournament eventually. It looks like the NCAA tournament for the first time in quite some time. So all that ahead on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hope you enjoyed the content uh, coming your way in this one. Go check out all of our coverage of the Nittany Lions on Lions247.com. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue wishing you all a great end of your week.